felt this in my spirit today as we were singing. It said, your expectation can be stifled by your satisfaction. In other words, if you came to hear the same thing, if you came to sing it the same way, if you came to have the same experience you'll always have, if, if you're satisfied with what you're eating, if you're satisfied that's the way it should be cooked, if you're satisfied that this is just the way it is, then slowly you'll stop expecting better. I see you. Yeah, you. Flipping through all the podcasts, looking for something different. Tired of those with all the catchy phrases? A one-size-fits-all, quick-fix schemes that never seem to fit. My name is Anthony Hart, and if you are like me, you want more than a moment. We are looking for a movement of groundbreakers and world changers who are tired of the status quo, willing to throw it all up to see what sticks, willing to ask a question before pointing a finger. This is your invitation into a collection of thoughtful ponderings posed to make you think, one-on-one conversations that challenge you with fresh perspective, and roundtable discussions where sparks fly as iron sharpens iron. Intrigued? Pull up a seat. We've been waiting for you. But don't get comfortable. You might be up next. In the Red is now in session. Let's go. I always pray that when I preach that there's a conversation going on. It may not be me and you back and forth, but I pray there's an internal one or a moment with you and God where you begin to talk to him a little bit, that it's not just one way and you just get information and you walk out. I pray that's conversational. But next week, we're going to be very intentional about that conversation. We want to have the microphone available. And if anybody has any questions, wants to be a part of this, please, 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 over this week, begin to pray and think about that. And those are the moments I used to be scared to death of because I can't prepare for those. But that's the moment God said, you can't prepare for the moments you've been prepared for. And that's for all of them. That's the moment. That question and that moment in time, that testimony, is maybe the moment you were prepared to preach your first sermon. I don't know. But over the last couple of, I guess the last year when we started doing that, how many people have enjoyed that, have gotten something out of it? I get a lot of feedback to say, man, it was just nice to be able to have that talk. And I'll tell you, I get a lot about it because I can get up here and preach some things, but maybe it's something I didn't go in depth on or something I glossed over. And somebody said, hey, what about that? So that will be next Sunday, uh, unless the Lord comes back this week or he says we go a different route. Either way, I'll get out of his way and let him do what he wants to do. Amen? So they've been talking in this year thus far, uh, from the, the question, why am I here? And we've been preaching from Matthew 5, 6, now getting to 6, and then eventually 7, on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which I believe was the foundation, the invitation for the kingdom of heaven. Everything he talked about, he didn't talk about anything new, he just went more in depth, more pointed, more intentional with everything the Old Testament said. Everything that they knew Everything that was already written in their books that they knew, he began to tell it through a different lens, a different perspective. Wasn't changing the data, he was activating it. He was establishing what the kingdom was supposed to look like. He was getting the heart straight. Didn't change information, he was getting the heart recentered on what we're really called to do. 
So that question, why am I here, comes back to every one of us as Christians that we should constantly be asking ourselves. Why am I here? What's my purpose? And then it puts you in a situation every moment, good, bad, or indifferent, that you find out there's a purpose for you being there. And last week we began talking about prayer. Uh, We're going to talk about the Lord's Prayer today that everybody knows, bless you. Um, And last week we talked about the posture, which you hear me say that word a lot, of when we go into prayer. And we talked about the purpose of the intimate place, the purpose of the secret place. Because it's when he establishes your personal intimate space, it only amplifies the corporate space. Our brokenness is we have it backwards. We want to come and be amped up in the corporate space in hopes that that fires up our intimate space. It don't work like that. You know how many people went to these revivals this week that are popping up all over our country in hopes that it would flame up something in their life? And I've heard people that went and they received something. I believe that's because they were postured before they ever got there to receive something. I believe it's those kids in those schools that got to a place that they were tired of just getting the same old, same old and said, I need something else. I'm desiring something else. There was a personal posture for more. And in that moment, when that group of individuals got together in one accord, not the Honda, suddenly God was able to do something, pour out what those individuals needed in a corporate setting. That's what he's wanting to do in each one of us is establish the intimate connection so that when we walk into a corporate setting, your intimate connection, your intimate connection, and suddenly he begins to pour out the needs on the people who need it, not all in the same form of currency because everyone is in a different place, but it's their posture to seek him which over the next couple of weeks, we're going to get to that seeking place. But I think today is the place where it really establishes where we go from here. The whole, this is kind of the halftime when you get into the Sermon on the Mount. The, the prayer is the middle part. But I think it is the pivot moment that positions us when he begins to talk about seek ye first the kingdom of God. When he talks about seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened to you. I believe this moment in prayer is the pivot moment that gets us to a place to begin to seek differently, knock differently, with an understanding that it will be given to us. It starts with our prayer. So we're going to read today in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Most people know this if you've been in church any amount of time. Uh, If you've been fellowship of Christian athletes, you say this before every game and all the things like it's ingrained in us. And we talked about last week, if you're in Catholic school, you better know this. Or you have the bruises for your instruction. Bruise for mine iniquities, sorry. So we're going to read in chapter 6, verse 9 through 13. This is the Lord's Prayer. Um, In Luke, we find a very smaller abridged version, and it starts out, The disciples came to him and asked him, how do we pray? So this is the most basic instruction, but I think it is the foundation of a true prayer. Here we go. Verse 9, it says, pray then like this. That is out of that posturing moment we talked about last week, getting your heart to a place. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we 
also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, I had an initial sermon title on this, and God changed it this morning, <laughs> as he's been known to do. Um, and it didn't happen until I was about to get ready. I had to go upstairs and get everybody ready, and I opened my closet, and you all know I got t-shirts, and I was like, what am I going to wear today? I wish my wife would just pick my clothes out before she left the house. <laughs> she won't. So the hardest moment of my day is when I'm not buying deodorant is picking out a t-shirt. But as I pull open my closet today and I pull out this shirt, what's it say? Purpose over problem. God said, how many people pray over problems instead of pray on purpose? And I begin to think about this prayer. Because I think this is the foundation of what he's asking. Because so many of us, I'm as guilty as anybody, our prayer life is centered around our problems. It, it's when prayer, prayers of the saints go up when the problems go up, right? When the problems get ramped up, woo, the prayers go up. And, but I think there's something powerful. So here was the title of the sermon initially. And this is only going to speak to the older people in the congregation because some of y'all young kids don't know what this is. The sermon was, God, there's a collect call from <laughs> blank. What's the next line all of you would expect to hear? You have a collect call from Joey. Do you accept the charges? And what would God say? Every time God would say, Yes, he already has. Now, you bring up a great point, Joey. You don't hear that all the time because there's not enough pay phones in this world, probably. I don't know. That, does anybody know if there's a pay phone that still exists? Back in the day, kiddos, let me sit, sit down here with Grandpa Anthony. Let me tell you a story. <laughs> there was these phones on the side of buildings next to the supermarket. And if you didn't have a phone because nobody did, and you were out in the middle of nowhere, and you said, i got to call my mom and tell her I'm going to be late coming home. Nobody did that. You were just late, and you got in trouble for it. But realistically, that's what it was for. Or you got sent to the store to get something, and you're like, oh, what did she say to get? Let me go pop a quarter, a dime at one point. How many of you remember it was less than a dime? I don't remember that. You're too old. <laughs> Maybe there were penny phones at one point. I don't know. They used to click this thing that made noise. Sorry, we're going way back. Anyways, these pay phones, if you didn't have a quarter or a nickel or a dime or whatever your time frame is, you would call collect. In other words, you would make this, you would dial this special number in that was listed on every phone because they want your money, and it would say, I'm going to call Morgan because... I don't have any money, but I need to talk to her, and I'm going to call collect. So the first thing that would do in this phone, they would pick up this phone, it would ring, it would say, because you would have to say your name, you have a collect call from Anthony. <laughs> do you accept the charges? Because I'm mad that I forgot my quarter at home, and now i got to get her to pay. It happened a lot when I was in the Navy, too, and I was first call mom and dad, because mom always want to answer the phone, so why would I pay for it? Because I know mom's going to answer it and say yes. Right? 
Maybe y'all did that with your boyfriend or girlfriend. I know they won't talk to me. And then you get offended when they didn't answer the phone. But you get that, you have a collect call from Anthony. <laughs> Will you accept the charges? And you have a moment to say yes or no. Yes, boom, you're on a phone call, and their phone bill's going up right now because you're talking to them. When all you could have done is pay a quarter and save them a lot of money. But you didn't because you didn't have a quarter or a dime or a nickel wherever you exist. But then I begin to think about this from prayer. It's a lot like our prayers. That's our prayer language. It's our prayer life. It's every time we call God, it is another moment. Because, Joey, what did you say? We don't do it anymore because we all have cell phones. There's still a place that does it. What place is that? Jail. How many of y'all ever been in jail? Don't raise your hand. That's why nobody knows about this, right? If you've been in jail, you still make collect calls. Because you ain't got no quarters. Think about our prayer life. How many of us are constantly making calls from prison? I told you. Man, I had this good sermon, and it just got wrecked. Because the more and more I got thinking about this collect call thing, I was like, oh my gosh, how have we missed it? That's not what Jesus said. He didn't say you got to get to the lowest place of the lowest before you can talk to me. He was trying to establish a daily, constant conversation to help you realize that you didn't have to make a collect call. The line was always open. But the problem is when we get into prison, you don't get to make a phone call whenever you want to. you got to get permission, and maybe you only get one phone call, so you better get your stuff right, get everything you need to ask for, because if you don't get it, get the lawyer you need, all the things, this could be your one shot. Mom, Dad, honey, I'm in jail, and you need to come pick me up. How many times does our prayer life come back to this place where it feels like every conversation we're having is God? You have a collect call from Anthony. You accept the charges. Or maybe it sounds like, God, you have a collect call from Anthony. You accept the charges. Whatever your posture is, where are we stuck today? So I want to think about this a little bit. We're going to go back to this passage, this, this prayer, because it's in this moment that Jesus is positioning us to say the most basic of prayers, to establish the heart behind some things, because I believe what he's telling us is there's some things you need to pray for, but there's some things you got to work for. Y'all with me? You don't like to hear that, right? Our prayer list today, man, we'll pray for everything. And we've been told you can pray for anything. And then we wonder why we get nothing. I'm just trying to build a foundation here where we're going today. Because every one of us can find ourselves. We're either praying from prison Oh, we're praying for everything and nothing all at once and getting nothing in return and wondering why. And then who takes the blame for all of it? The fact that we're in prison again, the fact that we're praying and asking for a collect call again, the fact that we don't have what we prayed for, who gets, who gets the bill? Who gets the upset and anxiety and the fear that, 
God does. Every time we put that bill at his foot and he's like, I didn't do that. You did it. If you go back to what I told you to pray in the beginning, you'll understand how to pray differently. So let's think about this. First part of this establishes everything you need to know. Our Father in heaven. There is two words that you have to understand that this first portion is relationship and authority. This is one of the hardest part for a lot of us to overcome. Why? Because we have a problem with authority. Depending on if you're in a home, we have a lot of people who are in not good homes. So you refuse to give authority to bad leaders, whether it be parents, whether it be your country, whatever it is, maybe in your marriage. So then when we read this scripture, when we hear things like this, we're like, God, you're going to have to earn my trust. He's like, what do I got to do? I mean, I put breath in your chest every day. Your heart's still beating. Maybe not as good as it could because you need to work out a little bit more, but that's on you. That was a shameless workout plug. I worked out five days this week in a row, and I feel like I'm doing something. (laughs) Celebrate with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Right here in this very moment, he is establishing who you're talking to. Now, there's two sides of this because some people get stuck in one side or the other. Our Father, oh, he's a loving Father. He just, oh, Daddy loves me. Why? Because you had a good Father. So now he's just Daddy this and Daddy this. Some people call him Papa God if you hear him pray that way. It's, oh, just have a good Daddy. I just love him. The other ones, hallowed be thy name. Oh, the divine really keeps me at arm's length. Really, he's always disciplining me. This is the Old Testament and the New Testament Christians, if you will. The discipline in the Old Testament hallowed be thy name. The correction of the New Testament, oh, he's just a loving. But there is truth to both of these. He is your heavenly father, but his name is holy. His name requires authority of your life given to him. There's an establishment there of who your daddy is. If you don't know who your daddy is, then you're going to struggle. You're going to pray differently. If it's a father who abused you, you're going to ask for things differently. If that's where the relationship you have with him, then your prayers are never going to reach the capacity that they have because you're praying out of necessity or out of limitation. We talked about this a few weeks ago about not being a victim, right? How many times has our prayers come from the lips of victims? And the more and more we do it, we only pray for what we think we deserve. And the enemy begins to limit us to that place. Luke 18, 14. I have a lot of scriptures and I may not get to half of them, but that's okay. So right here we see a parable that Jesus was telling about the Pharisee and the tax collector and how they pray. So these two people, these two individuals are walking into the temple to pray. And it says the Pharisee gets in there and he begins to pray, oh, Lord, I'm so thankful that I'm not those people. The tax collectors, 
the sinners. I am so happy that that is not me. I'm thankful that you have saved my life and you've kept me out of the mess that they are. God bless me. Then the tax collector comes in and he begins to pray, God, forgive this sinner. God, restore me. I'm so sorry. And who do you think has the heart of Jesus? The one that's got it all figured out and it's arrived or the one that's broken and desiring more? Jesus says the tax collector is the one in him. Verse 14, he says, I tell you this, man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Talking about the, the tax collector, the sinner. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Man, I hate promises like these. Not when I read it, right? Oh, that sounds okay. When it happens. Because if I exalt myself, there is not, you might be, is not, maybe it'll happen. It's like, mm, it could. No, it says, let me read it for you again for those of you in the back of the room. For everyone, that means you, me, and everybody, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Promise. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now we go back to the very framework when we talked about the Beatitudes the first week. We talked about that humbleness, that humility. We talked about the difference between humility and humiliation. There is a part right here. This is not just a trend that we see. This scripture over here doesn't connect to anything. It is a trend where God is inviting to be humble to the one we're praying to while also realizing that we are his child. There is a connection piece. There's why he continually says in the Bible to become as a child. Why? Because when you were a child, especially the little ones, as you got older, he didn't say until you become a teenager. Did you notice that? Jesus did not say, if you want to get into the kingdom, you need to become like a teenager. Hashtag never. If you don't have any yet, just wait. You'll find out. They're going to question everything. A lot of us are just some teenagers. He said when you become like a child. Why? Because there is a respect and honor that a child gives that nobody else can give. Like that. There is a faith that you can conquer the world when you're in your kid's eyes. When they're little, mommy and daddy can do no wrong. Even on your worst day, they see right through it. That's where he's saying start. You need to know who your father is, but no, I'm your daddy. You're my child. You may have messed it up. You may have gooned this thing up as bad. You may have had a bad day at school, and you may get in trouble because you didn't get the test score because I know you didn't study and you was up playing video games. But you know what? At the end of the day, I love you. But you probably won't play video games tonight because you need to study. Some things you can pray for, some things you got to work for. You don't have to pray for his love. There's too many people out there praying for God's love. It is given to you freely. You just need to be postured to receive it. That's how you know he's a father. 
There's too many people praying for God to give them value. He said, I give it to you freely. You just aren't receiving it. Because you don't understand who I am. You don't need to exalt yourself and give yourself value. When you humble yourself, I will give you all the value you need. It's a relationship and authority. See, I think there's another piece of this, Second Chronicles 7.14, because there's scriptures all in this Bible about pray. And over the last couple of weeks, man, I've heard this one time and time again, I, especially around election time when that was going on. And now with these revivals, it says, Second uh, Chronicles 7.14, probably know this, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Everybody knows that scripture, right? How many of you have been hearing that as these revivals have popped up? Oh, God wants to heal our land. You know, as I begin to read that, you know what I realized before he ever got it? This is Solomon in the time of Solomon. You know what happened right before that, that statement was made? Go back up to Solomon 14, 11. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord in the king's house. What are you saying, pastor? The temple was established before that prayer was ever said. We got a lot of unestablished temples trying to say that prayer. If I humble myself and God's like, you just get the temple right. Because if you consecrate the temple, then that prayer's differently. It comes from a place of connection and relation. What was the power of the temple? It wasn't what it was made of. It wasn't what it looks like. It's what it held. If my people who are called by my name, in other words, the name on the tabernacle, the name on the temple, not Greenbrier Community Church, but God. Not the denominational structure, but God. One of the most powerful things I heard out of this Asbury revival this week, there was a dad who took his teenage kids with him and they drove up there to it. And I shared this on Facebook but they went to it and was, had a good moment. And then when they're leaving, they get back in the car and they're driving. And he's like, you know, has anybody not heard about this Asbury revival? You may be all blocked off. Let me share this real quick. You need to get on Facebook more often because it's everywhere. So Asbury University up in Ohio or Kentucky? Kentucky. Just, I think today's the last day, completed seven or eight days of just 24 hours of worship. These students came in, started this. There wasn't no schedule. There wasn't, we're going to do this at this time. There wasn't any big name speakers. It was just these university kids came in with a heart to seek God, began to sing and play music. And before you know it, it just didn't stop. They're going to their professor saying, hey, can we, can we go back to church? And this thing, this old, wasn't comfortable seating, wasn't probably the best sound system. It was just filled with people seeking God. And then the media got a hold of it. So people were started driving. Why? Because we all want to experience something, right? But there was some that said in the front, because these kids were crying out, that the altar, the area of the carpet, the altar was just soaked with tears. Wasn't any crazy running. It was just a moment of connection, of intimacy, of I just want to be in the presence of God. And there was people who came and really didn't feel anything and left. There was people who came and was like, oh my gosh, just the atmosphere that was there. It was so beautiful. 
And now it's starting to spread. There's colleges that sent kids that went there, and now they've gone back and it's happening in their universities. So instantly the Christians say, see this? If we humble ourselves to pray, this is God healing our land. No, this is God healing our hearts. This is God establishing the tabernacle of our heart. And out of that, so that when we have those moments of connection with him, when we establish this tabernacle, then he can trust you to take you out of the corporate building to go and be and heal through what he's done in you and your testimony. The Solomon finished the house of the Lord in the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house, he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, If my people who are called by my name, why do you know, why are you called by his name? Because you pray differently. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In other words, I'm your kid. I am humbled because I go by your name. I've not ran away and changed my name. I'm not running away from the title Christian because it's been broken. I'm trying to reestablish this connection and who my daddy is. Now the second part of this, your kingdom come, your will be done, is all about submission. How many times do we pray and our prayer is what we want? What we need, what we desire, what we want to happen. And then when it doesn't happen in the currency that we want it to happen, we don't receive it the way we ask for it. Suddenly, God's not doing what we want him to do. This is the purpose over problem. When we go into our prayer with centered on the problem, there is an expectation that the problem will be solved. But when you begin to pray on purpose, the foundation of purpose of who you're praying to, that you have access to pray to him, and that there is purpose in every situation you go through, then you begin to trust his will, not your own. This is the place of mistrust that happens in prayer. We really don't trust God. That's why we tell him we want this to happen, and we expect this to happen. And when it doesn't happen, see... Shouldn't have trusted you in the first place. Made a collect phone call, didn't take my call. When realistically he's sitting on the other side of that line, just waiting for you to say, I trust you. I got myself into this situation. This happened to me, but I trust you to help me walk through it. Your kingdom come, your will be done. See, there's a lot of prayer statements. So if you think Matthew 21, 22, we hear these spoken in church a lot. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Huh. Wow, I should just preach from that sermon. I didn't need to preach any of this other stuff. I could just said that. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive him. You will receive if you have faith. Let's pray. 
Father, we just thank you today for this word. Get out of here. Every one of you go home, start praying. Don't get what you receive. I guess I have no faith. Where does the enemy creep in? Right there. Oh, yeah, good prayer. Guess he's not listening to you. He's not your dad after all, is he? You have no faith. Then we start thinking about what Jesus said to the disciples. Oh, you have little faith. Oh. But you know what Jesus did after he said, oh, you have little faith? He did what they were trying to do, and then he picked them up, dusted them off, said, okay, let's start walking this thing back out again. He didn't reject them, kick them out, walk away. He didn't make an assessment about who they are and who they're not. He restored the relationship and said, let's go. Mark eleven twenty four. 24. Another one of these passages. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. See, these are the broken areas that we have been preaching in church. Some churches preach that and say, man, just pray it and it's coming to you. You want a Cadillac? Good Lord wants to give you a Cadillac. John 15 and 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ooh, there's the beginning. I could have skipped all that and just went, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Mm -mm, it's not what it says. Back up. If you abide in me, we've talked about abiding. Abiding is not calling when everything's good, not coming to see you when everything's fine or only when something's going wrong. It is about abiding, connecting deeper, living closer to in that space, your hearts begin to sink up. They say, you know, if, they say if you hug somebody for, I think it's a minute. They say a, a proper hug is a minute long. Who wants a minute hug from anybody? Some of y'all do. I'm right there with you. I'll hug. I have some huggers, some friends, and they are huggers. I'm telling you, they hug. It is a different type of hug. My buddy Gary, I always tell him he's going to start a ministry called In the Arms of the Father. Because when this dude hugs you, you just melt. It ain't one of these deuces and I'm out. It is he grabs you and he just holds you. And it can be really awkward if you're not in this place as a man. Like, this man's holding me. What are they thinking? Man, I've gotten up. I just, I just sat there and hold. But they say if you hug somebody for a minute, your heartbeats begin to sync up. Boom, 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 boom. Boom, boom, yeah. <laughs> See, that's the beauty of the Father, though. His heart is healthy. If we would spend more time embracing him, not when we need it, not because of what he has to offer, but spending time abiding in him, our heartbeat begins to sync up with his. And suddenly the things we're praying for is not out of our own fleshly wants. It's not out of necessity that's not birthed in him. It's based on the connection to his heart. Suddenly, we begin to pray differently for people, not at people. In our situation, not out of our situation. On purpose, not out of problem. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 
And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. See, suddenly we begin to see prayer through this lens. We begin to pray differently. God, I know I'm in this problem and circumstance. I don't know how to get out of it. But I want to pray what you want to pray. I want to release it to you. I want you to take the care and anxiety of that if you'll hear this or if you won't hear it. How do I do that? My will's got to be linked up to yours. My desire's got to be yours. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the promise. That's the connection piece. Suddenly, you begin to operate differently because you got to go back to what John said in the John 15, 7, because it was right after that. I almost said it, and I just glossed right over it. We're going back. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. See, it is a bigger ask than you even have. That's why he wants you to link up his heart with him. That's why he wants you to begin to ask everything. He's not worried about your asking, but when you're aligned with him, he's trying to build up your fruit. He's trying to be glorified so more people can be impacted. If we go around needy, if we go around victims, if we go around that's the mindset we have, our impact is limited because we're not bearing fruit, we're not being discipled, we're not glorifying him. See, there's purpose in this prayer. It seems simple, right? These are just some words, and we've said it so many times, but it is an alignment piece with him. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A relation and authority and submission. This is the first steps. These are the very beginnings, the gateway, the entrance into this prayer to what you'll say next is the establishment with a connection. You're sending an email, right? You get you have to have a, a connection first before you can ever send it. Otherwise, you hit submit and it ain't going nowhere. That first piece is establishing your connection for what comes next, for your email to be sent, for your prayer to be heard. Give us this day our daily bread. Okay, here's the place where we talk about what we pray for and what we work for. This, you can pray for provision. Sometimes you got to work for abundance. I don't think this is taught well or preached well in the church, depending on where you're at. That's why we got some people just settling for scraps, because that's what they pray for. Then you got some praying for all this abundance and they ain't getting it, and we're just stuck. But there's some people that pray for a daily provision, knowing that God will provide, and then they get out there and work for whatever's left. Why? It's not so they can be provided for it, so they can do more with it. But there's too many people out there working for what they eat instead of trusting in God with that. So then everything they get, they eat, and their impact is limited as well. When you pray differently, you begin to understand what it's for. You tap into this. There is a daily provision that he wants me to have. have. Everything that I need, he will supply. It shifts your mindset. It changes how you pray. 
There's an assurance. When you pray this, there better be an assurance in you knowing that this is a promise from him. If Jesus said it, this is not Paul, it's not Peter, this straight from the horse's mouth, Jesus said, if, if you will pray, pray like this. Establish the connection. Understand his will is always more important to you. Understand you are so valuable, important, that your daily provision is right there. How many times have you ever been struggled and just out of the blue, like, you got what you needed? On time, every time. But that's not the end all. That's him saying, I got you on that. Now what are you going to do with it? It's the positioning place in that. Now here's the part of this that's really tough. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I think you need to listen to the verbiage on this. And forgive us, that's a present term, forgive us our debts as we have also as we also have forgiven. That's past tense. You don't catch that, did you? Forgive me now as I have forgiven before those who sinned against me. It is a posturing. It's not an if-then statement. It's like, if you don't forgive me, buddy, you're not ever going to get... The forgiveness is granted. What he's saying is, you need to walk into prayer. This is prayer. He's saying, pray like this. Talk like this. Talk to God like this. Don't come in with unforgiveness in your heart because he's already forgiven you. I want you to forgive differently. And a lot of times, you can't even forgive yourself because you sinned against yourself. You've taken yourself for granted. So you can't even ask him to forgive you of your sins because you can't forgive yourself. You can't go in with the right heart. We talked about this last week. We talked about it before of prayer, of praying for people, praying for your life, praying for what he wants to do, praying on the purpose that you have in your life because you don't have a purpose anymore because somebody, maybe you, it took that purpose away from you, stripped it from you. And forgive us our debts. It's not our money debts. Everybody's going to start praying that today, right? (laughs) Lord, just forgive my debts. Hallelujah. It's in the word right there. Forgive us our debts. I'm going to get a check from the bank tomorrow. Hallelujah. I'll forgive my mama, my daddy, my ex-husband. I'll forgive my kids. I'll forgive all of them if you just take this house payment away from me. (laughs) Let's be real. It'd be easy to forgive if that's the debts. No, no, no. He said, you don't understand. I'm forgiving bigger debts than that. You want to work for them debts in your house, in your cars. You got three of them, barely pay two of them. That's your sins. I'm, to- I'm working on your eternal life, not your temporary one. I'm establishing your kingdom value, not your humanity. It's bigger. And here's the last part. I had some scriptures for some of those other ones, but I want to get to this last piece. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
So let's think about this. In verse 9, relation of authority. Verse 10, submission. Verse 11, provision. Verse 12, salvation. That's the things we pray for. Provision, salvation, and last, direction. Because we're going to choose a direction one way or the other. Whether it was a direction we were choosing before we say this, said this prayer or the one we said after, we're going to choose a direction. We're going to walk a certain way. And if we pray the prayer and we walk out and we walk into temptation, there's a whole lot of people like, well, God put me here. God did this to me. You need to be assured of some things today. Just because, and lead us not into temptation, that does not mean that God's going to lead you into temptation. Really what that scripture says is, please don't put me into a place where I'll be overcome by temptation. It goes back to the word trust. Let's read some scripture. James 1, 13. James 1, 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Matthew 26, 41. If you're new here, I, I pray that as I'm giving these scriptures to you, you're writing them down, going back, reading, chewing on them. I don't want to just gloss over them, but I want to establish the connection to the entirety of this word that you've got to understand the heart of Jesus. Matthew 26, 41, we find Jesus when he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Before he's about to be arrested and put on the cross, he's with his disciples and we find them sleeping he said, pray with me. And they go over and take a nap. Well, Jesus is with us. He ain't going to lead us into temptation. He ain't going to lead us to any place, right? As long as Jesus is here, we walk with him, we're good. There's people that, as long as I walk with the church, I'm good. I got news for you. The church ain't always Jesus. How do I know? Because I've been to church for a little while, and there's been some moments I didn't go where I was supposed to. And I looked back and there was people following me. Wasn't Jesus leading them into temptation? It was Anthony. We're all capable. The disciples, in this moment, Jesus said, this is the most powerful moment ever because I'm about to leave this earth. And if you can't get this right now, there's trouble coming. 2641, he wakes them up and he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. In other words, everything I've done with you, Peter, there's something inside you that's pulling you towards what's right, but the desires of your flesh will pull you in the wrong direction because it needs a rest it begins to reestablish what you need and what you actually need. It begins to cause you to pray differently. It goes right back to what we've talked about. The posture of your prayers almost fall down the stairs. Up the stairs. You've got to really do something to fall up the stairs. Is what is my purpose? 
1 Corinthians 10, 14. We're going to finish right here. I'm actually going to read verse 13 first. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. But I love this next three words. I'll read that first part again, then I'm going to read these three powerful words. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. In other words, wherever you're at, you ain't the first one. You probably won't be the last. Listen to these three words. God is faithful. We sing that all the time. God is faithful. I don't care where you're at. He's at the end of this prayer. You said all of these things, but at the end of everything, he says, I don't care how you end it here. God didn't lead you in temptation, but you're there. But there's one thing that will not change. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, there's two things I got to pull out of this, and then we're going to close. It does not say that he will pull you out. Doesn't say, oh, I ended up in this place of temptation. God's going to evacuate you. Mm -mm. you're sitting there on the edge like in your prison, like just waiting on the walls to come down, waiting on the helicopter to show up. Meanwhile, Jesus' helicopter is at the LZ. They all don't know military turn. That's the landing zone. That means you got to do something to get there. He gave you an escape plan, but you got to get out of there. He will also provide the way of escape. But that means you got to get your butt out of there. Why? Because you got your butt in there. But that temptation wasn't on him. That was the enemy. But this is the hardest place in Scripture where we mess this thing up. God will not give you anything more than you can handle. Lies. How many of y'all experienced something more than you can handle? Guess what? You're still standing. Why? Because it was never more than he could handle. Wendy, when you were diagnosed, tell me that wasn't more than you can handle. But you know what? I see you continue to walk in authority because you walk with the one who can handle it better than you ever could. There's those of you who have lost loved ones in here and said, I'll never make it. But you know what? You're still standing. Why? Because you leaned on him when you needed to. There's those of you in your marriage, you struggle and you say, my marriage will never survive, but it's still standing. Why? Because you couldn't handle it, but he could. But temptation, that's a whole nother thing. When we pray that prayer, we know that he didn't lead us there. We got it into it. But he will give us a way of escape. But more importantly, he will also help us endure. That's the promise. That's the establishment of that prayer. As we begin to pray that, every situation we walk into, man, I've got a sickness in my family. How do you want me to pray? He didn't give us 15 different prayers. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. 
Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I know I've got sickness in my family. I know I need healing in my family. Pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is, as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us those who trespass, or forgive us our trespasses as we have forgiven those who have trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation. Suddenly we pray different. God, if I'm here, if I'm in this problem, if I'm in this jail, I'm thankful that I don't have to make a collect call because the line is already open. And God, if you positioned me here in this hurtful time, this broken time, I pray that you would use me, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven that you would be glorified. It's the prayer of Jesus in the garden. It hiccup. Father, if it's your will, remove this cup from me. Please do it. See, that's the prayer we pray. We don't pray the rest of it. But if not, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I know I have a long journey ahead of me. I know I've got to carry this cross. Give me this day my daily bread. Give me the strength to carry that cross up that hill. Give me the strength to withstand the shame and humiliation on that cross. Give me the strength to take every breath until I don't have another one in my body. And forgive me as you'll forgive those who put me on that cross. Even Jesus went through temptation. But it was the establishment with that heart of prayer that he made it through. I just want to Change your prayer life. I want to change the way you see your conversations with him. I'm not saying that there's not going to be desperate prayers. We all have them. Why? Because that's our flesh. But in the midst of desperate prayers, if you can have this spirit inside you crying out and suddenly you're going to be restored, reunified, you're going to get the beat of your heart reconnected with his and you're like, okay, what would he pray? How would he pray? If I want to see this come to pass, if I want to see God do everything he can in me and through me so that he can be glorified, how does this change? That's why there's purpose in the intimate place. It will change your corporate prayer. You won't just be saying the words that the pastor is saying anymore. You won't just be singing the prayers that somebody else is singing. You will begin to pray in the heart of connection. Father, we thank you today. What you're doing and undoing, we thank you for this invitation of connection that you've offered us. We're thankful that we have the ability to communicate to you, that we have the ability to throw up the flare when we're going through stuff that we've got ourselves into, that we're able to cry out from our heart We're going through places of brokenness and hurt. 
with the assuredness that you are listening. Father, position our hearts and our prayers that we would also walk in the assuredness of you answering. When we know that when we pray in the format of this prayer, when we connect to your will, your heart, there is assuredness of your covering that we will be provided for, that we will be forgiven, and that we will have direction. Father, help us. Help us to walk this out, to learn, to trust in our own lives, to release the burdens that the enemies put upon us, the chains of doubt and fear and anxiety, that we would truly cast all those cares, those anxieties, those fears on you because you care. Father, we give this day to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.